Welcome back, everyone, to Tag Team, the Pokemon Trading Card Games premier podcasting duo. But today we're solo. Uh, well, kind of solo. I have a special guest here with me. I'm J.W. Crewell, and I am joined by Joe from Omnipoke. How are you today, Joe? Yeah, really good. Thanks for having me on. Really enjoyed the channel. Uh, so happy to be here. This is a great... Um, it's just really great to have you. We've talked with um, you know a number of content creators, but you're one that I have really wanted to have on the cast, but it's always been kind of awkward because <laughs> you're over in you know the United Kingdom and that's what, five hours away from us. So yep. I'm recording this a little earlier than I normally would for tag team. Um, and it's, you know, 11 or 1030, I guess now at night for you. That's right. Yeah. So Joe, Joe revealed to me before we started the stream that he has a video to film after this <laughs> yeah i'm not great at planning ahead so basically i'll jam some games on pcgo and then like if something is just like interesting or i see something new or something like catches my eye i'll jam a few games and then like i'll be happy to record it if i feel like it's good <laughs> but today was one of those days where like everything i tried just didn't go well so now yeah. i'm just like twiddling my thumbs a little bit longer uh, so. i have definitely definitely been in those situations like any content creator could tell you right it's like when you don't have unlimited time you kind of just have to make some things work yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> so joe for those that don't know runs a very successful youtube channel has over twenty thousand subscribers doing primarily pokemon tcg content in terms of like competitive uh but there's also some uh there's also some uh, uh you know uh, collecting side sure. of things i know that you have maybe one of your most successful videos actually handles kind of where to start in terms of collecting uh so walk us through a little bit of your channel and you know you run it with with jack as well tell us how that all started in terms of being a, a duo channel yeah well yourself yourself is a duo as well with riley and obviously it's a similar story where right. uh we're just good friends we're friends beforehand we were the ones that would sort of talk to each other about the game anyway and uh, we actually uh, sort of met each other in a Pokemon online tournament from another YouTube channel, actually. Um, it was Pokemon Dan Level 45. Oh my goodness. Around long enough. Yeah. That is a throwback. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, he was a UK content creator. He moved on to Minecraft and now is uh, very successful on YouTube. Um, but yeah, he was one of the top channels back in the day, especially a European channel. Uh, so we were playing in one of his online events and that's how we started um, testing together because we were on the same time zone, right? So, and uh, I didn't have a league nearby me. So that's how we sort of got together as friends and started playing lots together. Uh, and I think it was actually around the time where Pokemon Dan moved away from the Pokemon scene uh, was yeah. where we sort of felt that there was that gap, especially in the UK, where there wasn't sure. much content growing on, uh, going on at all. So that was really where we sort of dipped our toe in content creation together. So, yeah, sure. That's really cool. That's really cool. It's nice to see those because I have a number of friends that I met first through a forum or, mm -hmm. you know, online and we've just developed these friendships. So that's, let's see, let, that puts you maybe, I'm trying to think, Pokemon Dan, like when, when, when was that, that you started the channel? So the, tour, the tournaments that we played in and first met, um, it was like Stormfront into the Heart Gold Soul Silver series. So I think it was pre Call of Legends. Okay. Um, so around, what's that, like 2010, mm -hmm. something like that. Um, and we didn't start the channel for a number of years after that. We were 
still really newbie actually we were both terrible that we learned the game <laughs> together really um and uh jack went to a few events in the seniors division before i actually even turned up to a tournament but um the channel basically started when i was just dipping my toe into competitive that little bit more so that was around i think it, uh, me opening a box of flashfire i think is our first video so oh my gosh uh, that's around the the time zone uh, for there and it was very sporadic as as uh, most channels are as they begin uh, and then yeah. you know it becomes more and more frequent as you get stuck into it is it is that video still up oh yeah yeah it's me i it's terrible it's like <laughs> i'm recording on my laptop i'm sat on a bed like in my university room yeah uh, and i'm pretty sure like i open like two packs and then i have to stop recording because <laughs> my roommate comes in it's really loud it's like quintessential like old youtube it's fantastic oh my gosh that's amazing <laughs> It's kind of funny though, like how much the standard changes, right? Just the more that you do it, the yeah. more, because I went back, oh, this was maybe like three or four months ago and I watched some of my first YouTube videos and I was mm -hmm. like, these are, you know, like, I still know I have a long way to go, but like those were something yeah. else. So, and you don't even realize how you develop just, uh, like your presence on camera and all that sort mm -hmm. of stuff and how bad you are at the, at the beginning, uh, just talking to yourself. It's a strange skill to learn um, yeah but you are doing it like on the job basically so it's a completely different product to when you're first recording so it is just all about experience really and trial and error we have a question from chat mike asks what did joe take at university uh, psychology was the course i took at university yeah. okay and now you are not really doing that <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a subject that i enjoyed the most from school uh -huh. um i never really uh, had the intention of like going into psychiatry or anything like that. It was just the course that was most interesting to me uh, at the time. So, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. So something completely different, really. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm uh, working in the finance department of uh, my family business. Mm -hmm. um, well, my parents' family business, I guess. Um, and it's an antibody distribution company, which is like a long way of saying that we basically get goods in from abroad and sell them domestically in the UK. Yeah. So what are some like things that we could buy from the Joe Bernard um, family business? <laughs> well, it's lots of, it's lots of like universities buying from us, lots of research, uh, okay. antibodies and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Just trying to make medical and scientific breakthroughs. So we were selling like everything from COVID testing kits to like sure. research reagents in that field as well. So it's been you know, touch wood decent for us <laughs> throughout the pandemic, which is yeah. kind of nice. We've actually yeah. had some like Omicron stuff going through uh, today. We had it like delivered. Uh, so everyone was kind of taking a step back from it. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, we're selling all of that sort of stuff. Cool. Very cool. So uh, in terms of, in terms of content creation, um, what really got you motivated or what keeps you motivated now that you've been doing it for, you know, half a decade plus, yeah. Uh, what keeps you motivated to continue to make content and produce, um, you know, produce content for the Pokemon TCG? I think for me, you know, being a content creator for maybe the last three years, uh, but certainly consuming content for much longer, I've seen a lot of people kind of defect from Pokemon TCG. I mean, we talk about Pokemon Dan, like that's probably yeah. like, a, you know, one of the shining examples, but there's a number of other creators that I can think of just off the top of my head, you know, Purple Cliff comes to mind as like a recent sure. one who used to play TCG and now has moved on uh, to the video games. But what keeps you invested in the TCG and what motivates you? Well, I guess it's mostly because I'm just still super invested 
in playing the TCG anyway. So like if I'm sinking my time into it, regardless, I may as well just stick the recorder on a lot of the time. I love showing like my creative side, especially when new sets come out. I think that's the time I have the most fun creating content because you're in your own little bubble, figuring out what cards you think are the best and trying to like formulate these strategies. It, that really is one of the things I like the most uh, about making videos. And that's why we put a lot of emphasis on, you know, like set reviews and mm -hmm. uh, we, we're really proud of those and how much time we put into the testing beforehand and that sort of thing. Even if they don't end up accurate, it's really difficult to picture, you know, like what every different person is going to come up with. Sort of thing. Sure. And obviously it's only two brains as opposed to yeah. like a hive mind, right? So yeah, absolutely. theoretically the hive mind is going to be able to generate better, you know, For sure. lists um, and things. But I think we always do a decent enough job of getting a starting point um, mm -hmm. that have at least had some testing, uh, even against some of the other new archetypes, but always against some of the old stuff as well. So that's what really is my favorite part about the channel. Um, and yeah, I like playing games. <laughs> I like, uh, you know, a, a lot of the time early on as well, I was uh, recording my games to improve as a player because mm -hmm. I was having to justify my actions out loud. So every yes. single time I almost used it as like a testing process. And uh, you may even hear me sometimes on videos saying, I'll go back and watch this game and see what I could have done differently. Um, because it's much better than having that sort of hazy memory of what you did on turn three that could have been different sort of thing. So it's actually helped me as a player. So I used it as a bit of advice in that regard as well. That's really interesting. Would you suggest that to other players? Like just as a piece of advice um, to, you know, record themselves like you know, making a, a YouTube video in, in a sense, like, is that something that yeah. you would suggest? I, I actively uh, did that when I was doing coaching, I did it for a small portion of time for like a nine month stint. Um, uh, and I definitely encouraged and would watch back other people and uh, talk to them about what their rationalization was in certain instances and why it was mm -hmm. either correct or incorrect or how it could have been done differently. Because it's really hard to like, you see people making plays mm -hmm. uh, all the time and they can quite easily like justify it to themselves and they're constantly justifying as you play the game like in your head but actually uh from a coach's perspective hearing where their rationale is is really helpful but it also trains them that when they're in the game they have to actually tell themselves why they're doing every single action even though it's like basics a lot of the time uh right. so i think it's good uh both ways really to always be sort of justifying decision making mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of good things that people can take from, you know, these high level players about um, certainly something like that, as simple as that, you know, where it's just yeah. narrating what you're doing and then, yeah. um, you know, going back I and mean, reviewing it. That's why we always like tune into Todd streams, Azul streams, Mahone streams, right? Because they're constantly justifying and they're very high level players at what they do. So people want to hear those insights and that's just naturally going to improve them as players as well and keep them on top of their game. Do you feel like you have a ways to go in terms of your play? Like, where do you feel like your in-game play? Like, do you feel like you're at a peak right now? Do you feel like there's a long ways to go? Um, uh, I would say a little it, bit about that. Yeah, uh, I think I play at a relatively good standard. Um, I think there's definitely some justifications that can still go awry here and there, but I think I play at a decent level. Um, obviously, like results-wise, you know, Worlds played the last four years. Well, you know, when we actually had Worlds. Um, <laughs> You know, I've won a regional, second regional, won a special event. So I, I yeah. can go deep in some tournaments. Yeah. Um, I wish I had the chance to play more internationals. I yeah. commentate so many that I don't get I to actually see myself on that scale, um, which is, you know, something interesting. I've played in like a couple and not done too well at them, um, some of the earlier ones. Uh, but I think that would be where I would like step up from being, you know, 
good within my country uh, mm -hmm. to becoming, you know, a top 50 global player. I think I'm not there yet. I would say I'm like probably top 50 Europe, but not top 50 uh, global. Okay. And so what do you think it would take? Um, well, I play a lot, uh, but a lot yeah. of the time when you're playing for content, it's not really the same as yeah. competitive yeah. Uh, playing. And I think ladder is such an easy trap to make you think that you're putting time into the game, but it's really suboptimal time that you're putting yes. into the game because of so many, like, firstly, you don't know how good people are uh, when you're playing against them. You don't know how good their lists are. Um, it gives you a really good aspect of, like, when you're in tournament play because you don't know what their decks are going to be. So you're playing around mm -hmm. cards they may not even have, which is, like, the one good aspect. But actually spending time playing with someone at a high level and specifically targeting matchups and how like a two card change influences those matchups is something that I would only really do in a build up to tournaments. And I think having that mindset like more frequently um, will be good. And I think that's going to be the mentality I take when we get uh, TCG Live finally. Uh, right. I think a lot of people will be becoming more uh, intentionally like try harding uh, than just jamming games on PCGO. So hopefully it's like a natural progression for a lot of people to push to you know, be better players as well. Yeah. And especially content creators too. Cause like you said, it's mm -hmm. kind of, you know, I, I, I don't know if you feel this way about Pokemon, but I, I feel like there's a frequency aspect because of, you know, the, you know, there's kind of this pressure to put out a video every day or every other day, um, mm -hmm. you know, covering the new best archetypes or uh, covering the next set that's coming out or whatever. It's kind of like this constant change and constant flux that influences how often people are putting out videos. And so, like you said, you know, it's, it's, it's a struggle uh, to really hone in on certain decks or hone in on certain strategies when you're always having to recycle, you know, into these new uh, decks and trying to show them off. Um, you know, do you, what's kind of your philosophy when you're thinking about how you create content? Like, do you think about, you know, frequency that much? Are you putting like quality uh, over quantity? Um, what are some kind of philosophies that you have when you're thinking about content creation and where you want the channel to go? Sure. Well, I, I think there's so much competition out there right now that if you're not moving forwards and constantly putting out content, you're falling behind in a lot of instances. And the algorithm is making you go behind if you're not actually recording content. So I'm very conscious of days where I'm taking off and whatnot. I could prepare a lot more because like I don't uh, like set up videos so much. I'm normally recording for the content that night or, you know, maybe a couple of days in advance, that sort of thing at most. Mm. So I think um, regimenting is something that I could easily improve on to improve the channel. But um, a lot of the time it's whatever I'm focused on at the time and you can only have attention in so many areas. And like you said, you don't really become a master of everything. Uh, you can only really dip your toe into so many things and then move on to the next thing. That's just uh, the nature of content. Um, but I think you're still trying to produce something at a good enough level where you've, you can at least put your like sort of stamp on something, either it's personal preference cards or uh, insights of in-game play that you can provide. I think that's something that I do really try and strive for and also offer like alternate cards that people could add in. If they don't necessarily like your list, it doesn't mean they're not going to like the video sort of right. thing. Right. Uh, so try and offer up that insight. I'm always trying to be like the competitive side. Uh, I can't, show off decks that I think are intentionally bad with a straight face and say, hey, this is going right. to be fun. That's just not me. It's not how my mind works. <laughs> I, don't, I don't find losing fun. <laughs> I find winning fun. So I like, hear you. Yeah. Uh, so I want to put out like only what I think is the best stuff. 
Uh, and obviously, you know, take it with a pinch of salt. Sometimes we get things wrong or whatever, but that's always yeah. my intention as I'm going into these videos. Yeah, that's good. That's good. How have you felt like, um, you know, over the years, content has changed? Um, what what is you seen, have you seen from, you know, when you first started to now? Mm -hmm. Well, it's a, it's a hell of a grind now. Like I said, mm -hmm. everyone is trying to put out a video a day. Uh, there's a good amount of editing. I still think the Pokemon TCG is a long way to go in terms of editing. Yes, but there's definitely I some agree. top channels doing it well. Um, frequency is just ridiculously high. The, you're combining videos with streams as well now as well. So there are people like full-time, which is just impossible to compete with, I think, if you're only doing it part-time realistically. Um, but I also think there's a real drive to like feed the algorithm rather than produce helpful content, which is mm. the main thing that I like um, kind of against. I feel like over at least uh, throughout COVID, we've seen that there's been a massive move towards like a top 10 list once a week. And I think for me, yeah. that is content that is like really strange because we're having week to week events and we have like six events online and they're like 70 fair tournaments and you can basically jam anything you want to. And we don't really know the incentive that people have to play. They're just playing whatever cards they want to online. Mm -hmm. um, and like a week to week meta is like something that can kind of happen. I remember like jamming cities and when regionals were week to week, things would obviously change. Um, but it's really odd saying like, this has jumped down from six to seven. It doesn't really like mean anything to me and it doesn't, I don't feel like it's helpful, but it's something that gets like a lot of views and generates a lot of attention a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, so it's something that just doesn't suit me, but I guess I'm looking at it from where I'm sitting rather than like a competitive standpoint, uh, like a casual standpoint where people don't know just want to know what's good what's, right now. Yeah, exactly. You know? So, uh, I think sometimes I don't look far out enough at what's the general population wants. And I'm just sort of thinking about what I would like to watch and listen to. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you kind of, need to improve on. yeah, I was going to say, cause you kind of mentioned like you, you have to feed the algorithm, you know, you have to stay ahead. If you're not moving forward, you're kind of moving backwards. Mm -hmm. Um, so you feel like that's maybe a way that you're not catering quite to the, the casual audience. Yeah. It's one of those things where I don't, I, the same, at the same time, I don't want to force the content, you know? So mm -hmm. it's like, even though I can understand that it may not be optimal or whatever, or like ticking all the boxes, I feel like just having a genuine product is still going to be better than forcing myself to do things that I think would be strategically smarter. What do you think is the optimal Pokemon TCG channel? I'm just curious, like just picking your brain on this. Cause I know you've thought about this a lot. Uh, yeah. Or at least it comes across uh, that way. So I actually, I actually have like a spreadsheet about things <laughs> that I would do. Um, that without, sounds without that sounds giving right. away the secrets. Um, <laughs> I, I my life is on a spreadsheet, like honestly. Uh, but I have everything down to like how many minutes all the video should be, what should thumbnails entail, yes. like, this, that, yes. and the other. Yeah. I have the plan like there. I just it's not for me. And also, I think that like my again because I'm geared more to competitive when there are mm -hmm. less people actually playing competitive and there's less incentive right now mm -hmm. i think all of my data is like currently skewed compared okay. to channels which can provide fun content instead because mm -hmm. you're getting like a ton of casual people and there's a lot of people you know who have been playing the game for many years like 10 plus years and they just have no incentive to even like look at the game right now and they just say when real cards come back i'll look a month in advance and then pick it up from there and they still have the skills from many years ago and they could be much better but um, yeah, I have looked at it in depth because it is, um, important, obviously, uh, even though it's not like my income or anything, 
right. I want to I want the channel to have the best reach possible uh, right. because I feel like what I'm producing is usually informative and somewhat entertaining. <laughs> I I mean I would agree. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean I I can appreciate certainly like uh, you know you mentioned the the future looking um, you know new set releases kind of putting a lot of time into looking at those new cards and I I find mm -hmm. that very valuable certainly in getting kind of a handle on what's to come so. Uh, that is that is definitely being appreciated. So give us some insights, kind of. You know, I see you scrolling through the spreadsheet. Give us some, give us some insights. <laughs> I don't want to give away the secrets because people have more time to commit and they can do it better than me. Oh, <laughs> okay, all right. This How about great. like, well, just like one little thing, one little, the littlest one. You know, like things that you well, think I, about I that think, no one else would. I think. Uh, well, this isn't exactly something that no one else would think of, but I think a massive gap right now is actually just more um, like roundtable discussions. I think a mm -hmm. lot of the time um, we're seeing a ton of content where it's this person's one opinion. Here's what they think's best. Here's their deck video. A uh, deck video. <laughs> see you later. Like peace out. See you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, and I I know why there's not very often <laughs> this happening because it's really hard to like juggle schedules and this that and the other. It's yeah. a ton of work. And I used to love the. Um, Oh man, there was a channel that was like just about interviews. And I know obviously Squeaky did interviews for like many, many years and still does Team Fish Knuckles. Yeah. Um, but there's been a ton, a Seagrove, that's the one. Uh, oh yeah, okay. Doing round table discussions. And I think weaving that sort of content in gives you insight from so many different areas. And so many people, you know, you're, you're multiplying the amount of time and knowledge within right. like very specific categories by like five, just by having five different people there. There'll be people who have been like jamming Speaking Ludicolo, people who have been jamming new VMAX, people jamming Gengar, and they can all provide insight that you may not have, you know? Yeah, but but Joe, okay, so why would I do a roundtable discussion that takes maybe an hour with like three other people and I get 5,000 views or 1,000 views or whatever it is when I could just make the same video of just me talking for about 10 minutes that gets the same, you know? I, yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly <laughs> why we're not seeing it right now. But I, I have like what I would call the perfect channel all in like writing, but it would be like so much work and dedication. Yeah. This thing. And also like almost like brute forcing people on there to fit your time schedule and be like, hey, I'll just get someone else if you can't do it for this time or whatnot. And right. Yeah. It's just not like the most practical channel, I guess. But it would be at least from a competitive standpoint, what I think would be optimal. So where do you see kind of the future of your channel going? Do you see you kind of, con you know, walking the same path? Um, any innovation that you have planned coming up? Um, what, where's the future of Team Omnipoke? Yeah, well, as you said, practically, it's still very easy to feed the algorithm with these constant videos, which are most likely still going to be deck analysis battles or like deck tech or whatever you mm -hmm. want to call it. Mm -hmm. But trying to differentiate from the other channels is like a really big thing. So um, not just having like top 10 lists each week, but having various content from various formats as well. I know that like, it's really weird for the algorithm because people don't like watching um, like cube content that I put out or like older format content oftentimes gets less views than standard. And I get that, right? Because it's a knowledge gap and this, that, and the other. It's a niche within a niche within a niche. Right. But I think it that can help you branch out and get newer viewership as well. So it's like, it's not exactly just clicks that you need to be watching. You need to be right. looking at all different things that like filter people into the channel. Um, so those are things that I'm definitely conscious of. My main thing that I'm really excited to see in terms of differentiation is how people or different channels react and create content mm. differently under TCG Live. Because I think there'll be some people who 
were just like hard jamming, let me get top legend this month or whatever. Right. And then there'll be people like, I don't know, if there's um, certain flaws, like they have in Hearthstone, they have certain flaws of levels. So like, say you hit legend and you're not going for number one legend or whatever. Right. Like, get to a good level, so you're facing good opponents, and then you're just going back to that variety of content sort of thing. Right. I've, I've actually found um, because of PTCGO's single ladder and this kind of mm -hmm. hidden ELO system, um, yeah. I've actually found that it's really hard to uh, record certain styles of video because I'm facing against players that have these tier one decks when I see some yeah. other content creators <laughs> actually being su more successful because they're worse at the like at the game. And it's just because there's this they have the leeway, right? Because someone yeah. else flips over like a rabbit against you. you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it makes it look like their deck actually works. They're weird rogue. And it's like, man, the deck is so stacked against me, literally. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm interested to see how different channels will cope to live because I think it's another differentiation point for these channels. You know, the fun content creators can still do that on like lower ladder elements and stuff. Right. Or just like hit legend later. And it could even become like a seasonal thing where like early on in the month, everyone's just pushing grinding to hit certain milestones. And then later right. on in the month, it's like, okay, let's clown because we've hit our achievements. Do you feel pretty, um, you know, I mean, I, I feel excited about PTCG Live. I, I'm sure you do as well, but kind of what are, what are your thoughts about uh, PTCG Live in terms of, uh, it as a as a platform. Oh, I'm super excited. And I think for every content creator, it's going to be like a rising tide because there'll be so many new eyes on this new platform. I think it's incredible. So as long as um, you're producing frequent and like yeah. enjoyable content, it's going to be great for everyone involved. Um, and I think just from my own personal standpoint, I'm a very, very competitive person. And I play Hearthstone right now, even though I don't even like the format because it has a ladder <laughs> and I want to hit legend, right? <laughs> so I will put so much time into playing live regardless. Yeah, It's going to be a huge motivator for me to stream a lot more when I don't really have the motivation to stream right now when there's no tournaments to play for. Right. Um, and it's basically just going to give us all incentive, right, to just push ourselves harder. Mike says, do you think that the content creation aspect will get harder with live without trading available? So there's been some kind of thought that, you know, now that we can't trade away other archetypes, like just getting, if everything costs, you know, 500 dust or whatever, and then even if you're making, you know, these kind of rogue builds, like you're going to have to spend a lot to get the cards that you need to make these decks. Do you feel like that's going to be a limiting factor when it comes to content creation? I would say yes and no. Um, it obviously hurts, like you say, rogue builders in comparison to now, right? Because yeah. you can just, on a low budget, you can still produce a ton of content currently uh, because you can just naturally trade for the things from the video yesterday to then get things for the video today. Whereas if it's a dust system, you are committing to those things. And if you're going to like sell them, we don't even know if there's a like a dust system, right? But right. I would imagine if there is, it's not going to be for full value. It'll be for like partial, half or something value. Right. Um, but I mean, in terms of competitive, I think it's going to be way better personally. We don't know the breakpoints in terms of the dust system just yet. Sure. Uh, but course. I imagine it's not going to be like so stringent. And I think it'll be like wage. People are, people are super worried about it. But I think if you just want to jam like one of the best decks in format, like say you just commit yeah. yourself to single strike or commit yourself to you know rapid strike on you whatever it is yeah that's going to be way easier like on the drop 
on the get-go to actually make that deck whereas it's like a mad dash right it's a scramble for like a hundred packs just trying to get the fusion strike stuff and that's just not going to happen with the yeah. new game no it's it's crazy every single set drop it's just nuts to try to get your muse or you know mm. i mean in this case your genesex like it, it was just unbelievable this set for sure and yeah. it seems like every single set that comes out on ptcgo it get it gets worse i don't know for me it just felt that way <laughs> where it's like getting all these packs is ridiculous sure. so um good i have i have just some questions on um you know casting oh sure yeah, yeah. how how uh how how do you feel that that fits into uh, your playing career? Because like you know, if you could cast every tournament, I'm sure you would want to do that, right? Um, yep. So where do you see the future of yourself casting um, Pokemon uh, events? Well, hopefully it could start again soon. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. In some right. capacity, um, but yeah, like you said, I will always pick uh, casting because yep. it's just for me. You get to see some really high level play it sort of, it fills that urge of you, or like, it gets you to see Pokemon in like the best light a lot of the time, because you get to see some really cool plays, mm -hmm. some high level um, decision making going on. When you're in at the tournament, you get to see sweet rogue decks like doing well sometimes, or you get those stories, you know, of someone randomly top cutting with this deck or whatever. And uh, I've been at like the internet where Todd invented Zoropod, right? And it's like the most incredible thing because you get to hear the whispers around the tables, basically. Mm. And then we feature him like round three and we're like, oh, this is actually probably the most insane thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like, yes. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't end up winning the tournament and then he goes and does it, you know? Like, <laughs> so you get to see all these crazy things, right? Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's an amazing day. And you're there seeing all the people as well. You know, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. And you don't have that same pressure of like, if I was going to that tournament to play, I would be committing like a month solidly just like testing hard and like trying right. harding, you know? Right. And I like wouldn't sleep the night before and I put a ton of pressure on myself. And right. if you do well, it's like a 10 out of 10. If you do terribly, it feels like a two out of 10 and like your weekend's ruined. And sometimes it's like financial stuff as well. Mm -hmm. um, whereas when you're commentating, there's still some pressure obviously, cause you don't wanna like stumble on your words or screw up or make yourself look silly or um, anything like that. But it's like, I'm a lot more chilled about it now cause I've done it for like five years. Yes. Um, so if I can just go in and chill and enjoy the day. Are there any memories from those weekends that really stand out to you? Like for sure. I mean, uh UK Nationals, I literally got to hand one of my best friends the trophy uh, yeah. to winning Nats that year and that was like such a sweet uh situation, yeah. especially when like I helped contribute to his list as well. So it was like Oh, that's awesome. Such a great feeling. He actually yeah. added in a Misty's Determination into a Vespiquen Bartling deck. <laughs> that was my random one-off. Let's go. Uh, and uh, I think he used it in finals as well to hit like a last DC, and I was like, that's busted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and yeah, like again, uh, you see so many people, right? You get the whole tournament atmosphere. So you're, you know, uh, when you're not actually live, you're walking around the tables, watching yeah. people playing, yeah. chatting to people as well. So you get the full tournament experience yeah. just without the uh, the gameplay element, which is obviously like one of the best parts of it. Um, but it feels like, because you're, whenever I'm commentating, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of both the players. Sure. Right? So I'm, I'm almost trying to play their hands at the same time. So once you're finished commentating, you're just as tied out as all the players because you've essentially yes. done the whole nine rounds yourself, right? Of course, <laughs> you're of course. Afterwards. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. 
That's so awesome. Yeah. Commentating would be an absolute, you know, dream. I think that's uh, just, and, and we've seen Pokemon is, um, you know, bringing on new people. Um, they're, they're willing to kind of expand uh, at least how many tournaments they're, they're doing. And uh, that's really an exciting thing in terms of the potential future of these, you know, regional streams from, from yeah. Pokemon. So exciting stuff. Well, let's get on to our card of the day. Joe, I know that you have prepared a card of the day for us today. Why don't you let us have it? Yeah, we're going back to the EX era. Uh, we're going back to Team Rocket Returns. I think you were you were playing back then, JW? I, no, I was not. I started playing, it sounds about like the time you were playing, but right as um, I was I was researching content um, uh, back when the SP, in the SP era, and then nice. I had my first tournament, Heart Gold, Soul Silver on, so. Nice, okay. Yeah. So this, this predates both of us, I guess, yeah. but uh, looking back, this is a sweet card. It's actually a trainer card. Um, and it's a swoop teleporter. It allows you to oh, yeah. search your deck uh, for a basic Pokemon, excluding EX, and switch it with a basic Pokemon, uh, again, excluding EX in play. And uh, this was like an engine because uh, it allowed you to switch out like whatever goofy Pokemon you started with, turn it into a Dunsparce or a Jirachi, the mm -hmm. old Jirachi, and yep. get rolling in the game. And uh, vice versa, it meant that those cool, funky tech Pokemon that get you in the game could be benched at any point and then you can swoop them out later to be helpful. And then cards. evolve them and yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. Did uh, they now did they retain their status as being out for a turn? So if I had yep. one out and then I had you know and, and I swapped it into a Nidoran and then I could evolve it into, you know, yep, Nidorino. Absolutely. So okay. it's it's essentially the same as Ninja Boy, right? right. Uh but right. in a in a trainer. So really, yeah. really awesome card. And uh I had to shout this card out specifically because it's also the basis of uh Cube, uh one of the cubes that I've built. <laughs> <laughs> which is uh entirely basic pokemon in the cube uh so so this is a perfect addition <laughs> yeah there's yeah. a ton of the swoop teleporters in there and uh, it's like an all-star card in the draft and I, I had to sneak cube onto the pod somehow well yeah i mean let's talk a little bit about that <laughs> so how many cubes do you have is this basic cube just one uh, of the many yeah so uh irl i have um like a regular evolution cube and i have um this all basic cube as well so i have two physical cubes okay um but i have a ton online as well oh sure um, that you can just jam on tabletop simulator or mm -hmm. you can just do on like untap or anything like that so it's like one of my favorite ways to play pokemon still uh and yeah keeps things fresh keeps mm -hmm. things interesting for sure speaking of keeping things fresh and interesting tag team is brought to you by manscaped that's right still looking for a christmas gift for a loved one in your life or perhaps something to treat yourself this holiday season look no further than manscaped currently they are running a deal for all of our tag team listeners if you use the code tag team at checkout you'll get 20 percent off plus free shipping now here's some of the things you can get two-in-one shampoo and conditioner they just sent that to us works like a dream and feels great too the Manscaped Cologne Infused Body Wash. There are some Luxury Shears, which is a nail kit. Um, there are some, there's a cologne that I have uh, yet to use, but uh, very exciting. Uh, shirts and boxers, of course, they have uh, lip balm. They have, um, you know, of, of course, the, the lawnmower. 4.0, which Riley and I have been gushing about for the last few weeks. So get all that at manscaped.com. Of course, you can use 20% off and free shipping with the code TAG TEAM. 
That's tag team, 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Thank you so much to Manscaped for sponsoring the tag team podcast. Now, Joe, I'd like to talk a little bit about what you think about the current meta. Uh, we have what seems to me to be a bit of a meta triangle in the sense that Mew VMAX is this kind of dominant core best deck in format. Just solely, not necessarily that it that it is, um, you know, overpowered in its attacks, although they're it can hit for one hit KOs and, you know, is very consistent, but it's just the amount of cards it can draw, the amount that it can see in a single turn, um, you know, it has some, uh, you know, certainly one of the best decks in terms of like gusting up your opponents and, and disrupting them in that way, taking out their main attacker before it can really, uh, you know, get all the resources necessary to, you know, do damage to your side of the field. So it has a lot of control over the opponent's side of the board. I view that as certainly the the best deck and format for that consistency aspect. Um, in that triangle, I view single strike decks as kind of that second branch. So if we have a best deck and format, you got to have a counter to it. Single strike, in my opinion, is that counter. So whether or not you play it with the Umbreon or whether or not you play it with Gengar, um, single strike kind of occupies that second branch. And then on the other side, you have the Urshifu Moltres. So that can kind of deal with Mew and it can kind of deal with single strike, but it can also deal with a lot of the ragamuffins of the format, you know, the Malamars of the format. It can deal with, uh, you know, the Jolteons of the format, just all this other random stuff. I feel like the Urshifu decks are really good at handling and at least put up a fight against Mew and single strike. Uh, would you kind of agree with that analysis or, or where do you see the meta right now in your opinion yeah I, I definitely agree that mew feels like just on a pedestal above the rest of the decks like you said the consistency just puts it way over the top um of the other archetypes single strike is certainly powerful in its own right it has a ton of um good points going for it without the weakness uh, that it can boast but that's what's keeping it like i would say solid solidly like at number two mm -hmm. maybe alongside like a suicune or a jolteon in there as well they're kind of the top three or four decks and then Urshifu is also super relevant, like you said. Rapid Strike is great at punishing all of these other decks that are trying to get cute and find other ways to beat Mew, because everyone has their sights on Mew as the best deck. So, right. Like every tech slot goes there um, if you have space, and right. some people are just playing decks straight up to beat Mew, right? Or at least target Mew in some aspect. Um, and Rapid Strike is so good at punishing all of those. And uh, the Moltres is interesting. I haven't tried enough Moltres. Um, I've mostly been focusing on just Melanie Urshifu because mm, mm. um, I still think that has game plans against Mew. Um, it just needs to draw like a lot of things very well. <laughs> uh, but uh, I've been watching Todd do a ton of his streams recently and he's trying like Medicham coming back into the list and increasing his telescopic sight count so that you can like buy that hit, free turn. Yeah, hit stuff. 180 on a, on a bench Genesect and try to For hit... Sure. Okay. Yeah. So is that is that the way that you win with a Melanie Urshifu? Like walk me through that game plan, Melanie Urshifu against uh Mew VMAX. So ideally you're getting Persimian telescopic down um with your first rapid flow. And ideally that knocks out one benched Mew V, uh, as well as setting up a Genesect. Um, and then you're trying to buy that free turn on the Genesect with the Medicham. Mm -hmm. Um and then you're trying to at that same time like it's been enough turns at that point or especially with the free turn that you can uh ping a genesect down to 180 to then hit it again with the persimian telescopic combo 
Uh, you can also do funky things with like Meloetas and Latias that come into play because you can target them alongside a Genesect or a Mew uh, and mm -hmm. then Echoing Horn them back as well. So there's a couple different variations, but oftentimes you need the damage mods to get right. yourself close enough to these, uh, these Pokemon, especially because they can just deny any ping damage with Fusion Strike energy, right? So uh, you have to get as close... Well, you have to get into Metajam range, essentially, yeah. like out the gate, which is pretty rough. Uh, I'm still kind of like against Moltres. I know uh, you've played a ton of the Moltres build, and mm -hmm. I'm sure you have more experience uh, with it than I do. Uh, but I feel that Moltres is just like so easily targeted by Mew. Yes, like, that um, is certainly one of the problems. And you need to have, if you're playing Moltres, I'm pretty firmly in favor of playing three Moltres. Because like mm -hmm. you said, if you bench a Moltres turn one, there's a really good chance that that thing is going down on turn two. Yeah. So you need to at least be able to attack or threaten two Moltres over the course of the game, figuring that one's going to get knocked out really early. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you also need to play Raihan, which was something yep. that I wasn't playing That's before because, yeah. yeah, you need to be able to just drop a Moltres down with no energy on it. Raihan, uh, use the ability and attach and get that going mm -hmm. on the following turn. So I found that that's kind of the best way to play the list, to have any sort of shot against yep. Mew. Uh, but that there's like some inherent problems with that because there's just not enough space to include, you know, Moltres works really well when you can have, you know, more basic energy, right? Because you yeah. need to be discarding them early to be able to die or flame wings them back. And if you can't get those dark energy in the discard pile early enough, then there's no real point in playing the Moltres. So that's what I feel is like yeah. the limiting factor to that archetype. That's the biggest issue, right? Because Mew will just do what it wants to do turn two. Like going second, it's very rarely not putting pressure on you. And oftentimes it's bench pressure at the same time, right? They're gusting something. So the fact that you're just less consistent than Mew anyway, even when you have these tricks, and I, I agree that a right hand Moltres is like a really good instant response answer to get an up trade. Mm -hmm. um, but it just doesn't come off all the time, right? You need to commit and somehow hit these dark energies early enough uh, and spread your threats around sort of thing by having double Moltres, like you said. Yep. You can manually attach to one and charge up the other. You're feeling great, but there are hands where you've drawn into your Rapid Strike energy and that's just doing nothing, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, do you think that Urshifu can ever, either variant can have a favorable matchup against Mew? Do you feel like that's uh, the case now with the um, you know Melanie variant? Like, do you ever see a world where there's a list that comes out that can go positive against Mew? I'd be amazed, honestly. I think you really have to high roll to beat yes. Mew anyway. Uh, and I just think Mew has way better capacity at beating every deck because it will draw more cards in the opening first two turns. So it, that's why we're seeing it have like 55 plus percent win rates against everything that isn't dark. And I guess one prize to, to a certain extent as well, because there's the games where the opponent just breaks and it doesn't matter what you do. You're essentially, you could be a big teeny deck at that point, right? Right. Uh, because just turn two knocking out an evolving view that didn't get the chance or you know didn't get the manual attachment or whatever of a turn uh you just win off of that tempo and that's what's keeping you so relevant because it just gets the job done more than every other deck in the game right now talk to us a little bit about decks that can disrupt the tempo of mew i know that path of the peak obviously <clears throat> you know is, is yep. going to be a good counter card but it's not really seen in that many decks i do know that you're a big fan of jolteon so would you say yep. that there are any other decks uh, alongside of jolteon that can really disrupt a mew deck so, so my latest spice in Jolteon, actually, so right now I'm at a stadium split where I play two Path and I play two um, Stormy Mountains, right? So I can okay. try and develop double Jolteon so I don't just lose to being gusted on turn two, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but also a card that I'm really enjoying playing is one Vita Vault in the deck now as well. Um, 
so that you can set up map on Genesex a lot easier. You're almost like cosplaying as an Urshifu player, where you're trying to just <laughs> uh, gust up and Vikavolt poke a Genesect like two or three times. Yeah. While you're building your Jolteon in the back, then you gust up the next Genesect, poke them a few times. You play a fan as well. Uh, so you can you know, remove one attachment from them because obviously they can like sparkle attach and get out of there if they have to. Right. Um, but they fill their hand with so many trainer cards that they do just get stuck um, sometimes. Obviously, they see the Beaker Vault coming um, unless you're the player going first and get turn one attachment. Uh, and then they have to have like the super nuts turn of like a random Meloetta cross switch. And I don't know if anyone plays those combination of cards anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the Jolteon. Praying on, oh, sorry, the Vikavolt praying on the two retreat cost of Genesect, which is like mandatory for Mew to play, uh, is something that I've been experimenting with with Jolteon right now. So I think that's an avenue I want to try a little bit more, especially if you tech like one toughness cape, you can even like knock out a Genesect and you know you're not going to get knocked out coming back into your turn because you're blocking out the, the tablets. Well, there you have it. All you have to do is have vika volt toughness cape uh you know uh, the the stormy mountains like it, it's that easy right uh yeah so that's my cutest <laughs> element of jolteon i think jolt like the other like the most simple way i guess for jolteon is just go sometimes path sticks for a turn after a mani sure. combination sure. but like it's not reliable right so i'm trying to like tech even further to make that more manageable but um that's all the tech space that jolteon has to use for other things anyway like if you're Playing all this fun beak vault stuff, you're just losing hard to single strike or uh, losing hard to rapid strike. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if it's necessarily the best use of the text, but having to like over tech for Mew is definitely a symptom of the format. I think one prize decks are also pretty good into Mew, mm-hmm. um, just inherently because they don't spread damage. They only hit in one direction and that's the face. Right. Uh, so you can just send them enough one prizes <laughs> that eventually you get over the line uh, they obviously have uh, the leak back into the deck, so they have some healing element, which is annoying. So you have to have a high right. enough hit point. Yeah. One prizer. <laughs> yeah, I know. This thing. It's uh, kind of crazy. Yeah. Like the I was playing um, some Rapid Strike Malamar the other day in a mm-hmm. tournament, and you know that's kind of the one deck that I think of that you know it's not hitting for weakness, but it has this unlimited damage yeah. potential. And I was still just really struggling against the Muse, and they were able to you know I had a two hit at one point, and then they shuffled back in and it was just impossible to build my hand up to a point that I could, yeah. you know, win the game. So even those one prizers, especially if you're not hitting for weakness, you're going to have a hard time. I feel like Obstagoon is the one that I look to as being kind of the Mew killer. For sure. I think that's trying to have one of the best win rates, but I actually think it's a lower win rate anyway than just like straight Gengar. But I guess it has other things in its favor. I think Obstagoon is really concerned about spreading archetypes. And mm-hmm. I think when it was first conceived, they thought yeah. it wasn't a problem because it could beat Dragapult, but Dragapult is like fallen off a cliff. Like it's plateaued and now it's yeah. like just Jolteon and Urshifu. Yeah. And both of those are way more difficult uh, for the, the uh, Obstagoon deck. Yeah, I just think, yeah, the problem with Dragapult is it just can't, I mean, it can't beat the single strike decks, but it also just, it's two shotting, or it's not even two shotting Mew, and that's going to be a huge issue. Yeah, it's horrendous against Mew. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> there's loads more dark in the game now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, talk a little bit. I know you're very opinionated. Well, maybe not very opinionated, but you've definitely um, stoked some flames in terms of the peony versus <laughs> this cramomatic VIP pass, you know, the different builds of Mew V Max. I'll, I'll refer to one as maybe the peony build and maybe one as like the turbo build. I don't know if that's accurate, but mm-hmm. um, 
you know, tell us for those that don't know, like, which do you prefer and why? So the cop-out answer is that I'm sort of hybriding right now where I'm having, like, I guess the straight um, peony is like four peony and you pay like one, um, what's it called? VIP, VIP pass. pass. Mm -hmm. And just like maybe like one Chromomatic or something and a couple uh, phones. But mm -hmm. I'm actually at like, I'm at like two slash three peony and I'm at the higher, um, VIP pass count now and I pay like two cram. So I'm kind of in that mid-range point right now. My biggest reasoning for liking Peony is that going uh, going first, turn two, it, sometimes you don't need to gust, right? And just having right. Peony that guarantees fog crystal incense is just like mm -hmm. very, very good. Mm -hmm. And when you are having pop-off hands, it's extra boss's orders to get that gust play and just take a KO. Um, and you just have more, it's, it feels like a safety blanket list, right? Where the peony just gets you out of binds a lot more often. Whereas the turbo list sometimes, like one VIP pass isn't enough, you know? It gets like three Pokemon to play, but sometimes you just have other cards in hand, just like sparkle and whatnot. And um, you're relying on a great ball hitting the right target, or you're relying on the Kramomatic, uh, the, the first one that's in hand to actually right. get you into an insane spot. But, um, I do really like Meloetta. I think that's mm -hmm. impressed me more and more. Yeah, especially I agree. Architects in the format. Uh, I agree. It gives, you, it gives you a game against them. Uh, mm -hmm. Whereas the Peony list, if you go second, you don't have much of a game against them. You kind of just throw a Latias active and hope they go, don't have the Gust turn two. And then maybe you skew a prize race in your favor if you have like a crazy power tablet turn. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Meloetta gives you a legitimate, like, I've gone second, I can high roll turn one and still win this dark matchup if they're multiple prize. Uh, so that's like the thing that sells me on turbo and why I want to have that package in the deck. Um, so like, I'm not against either so much. I know like Twitter's a thing where you say stuff just because <laughs> you're bored. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Uh, but I see the benefits of both. And I did like yeah. a long form video about my thoughts actually uh, yesterday on the channel so um if anyone wants more insight into that uh, like with slides <laughs> a bullet pointed uh you can, you can look through that but yeah i, I kind of like a mixture of both right now but i yeah. feel like cross switcher hype train especially with rotom phone i think rotom phone just made the card better even though people are playing like this rotom phone package just to find other things right now in the pure turbo list i sure. think it makes rotom phone just like a better sorry it makes cross switcher a better card Okay. Yeah. 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 I hear that for sure. Um, cause I, one of the things that I really like about the tur quote unquote turbo build that I really hate about peony is that there are times with peony that you're pitching resources that you really want at the end of the game. And, and that resource is mainly power tablet because I feel mm -hmm. like for the Mew deck alongside Meloetta power tablet is one of those cards that can uh, turn the tide of the game, right? If you play all four of them down, which I find myself doing fairly frequently, especially if I'm having mm -hmm. a subpar start, I need those power tablets to like try to take that one hit knockout on an opponent's V max and, and try to swing the game. So I find that like very frequently when I'm, when I'm down, I need those four power tablet and the peony. I just, you know, it, it kind of is incongruous because you just need all those in one turn. Yeah. I think you can argue it both ways though. Right. The peony is like, if you need to have that tablet turn and you have right. like tablet peony in hand, you've guaranteed right, it. Right. And, like you've won the game. Sure. Whereas like if you play the turbo build, you've got two in hand and you need, three plus fit band or something to win you've got to play them because you're digging and hoping right. uh so like it, it's give and take there but i get what you're saying and 
sometimes there have been hands where my only supporter is peony and I can't peony because I'm like drawn into my second VMAX and I've prized one of them. So there mm. are situations where it feels really bad and you're taking a turn off, which happens less with the turbo build. But um, I actually think <clears throat> the, the tablets are not relevant in a ton of situations. <laughs> like just going ahead in a race and maintaining pressure into like two prize, two prize, two prize KO happens like mm -hmm. a ton of times, especially yeah. like in mirror. Mm. Um, so I find myself throwing away tablets in like a ton of matchups. And then, like you said, it's like, if you're behind and need that swing turn to get back into the game, that's when you're like, where are those tablets? I've got to get them like this turn or I lose. Right. Um, so I don't think it's like the be all and end all, but it's definitely a small benefit, I would say, to the turbo build. And then how important do you think Elisa Sparkle is to the deck? Like, are you playing an elevated count? I've always, the, the more I play with the deck, the more I'm like, yeah, Elisa Sparkle is super good because you know, turn one, even, um, you know, I'll, I'll get it and use it for Mew to do 70 damage. Even poking a, a VMAX is mm -hmm. really good, but maybe knocking out a Sobble is yep. oftentimes a game changer. So what are your thoughts on Elisa Sparkle? I think especially with uh, Meloetta build, three is probably a count where I want to be sitting, mm -hmm. uh, or at least play two plus gear as well mm -hmm. as Rotom Phone. Um, because like you said, going second pressure is something like one of the only weak points of the deck is that if you're not sparkling turn one you have no pressure going second um so actually having that accessible to you like you said for the one prize or the prod uh, or sometimes the super high roll of doing it with a meloetta attaching a fusion energy for turn as well and getting the knockout on a v then you just like completely bone out the opponent as well so yeah. i think it's really good right now i think two is like the minimum count uh but I absolutely look at anyone funny for playing three copies yeah yeah i'm on that three train but that's that's neither here nor there um <laughs> so you said that you know you're working on a little spice for jolteon what are some other decks that you're really liking in this format uh well honestly i like mew the best <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, yeah uh i'm pretty sure everyone thinks the same because it's a sweet deck and you get to like seven cards by like turn three and you know that you can always hit your last few cards to win yeah. uh, so that's no doubt the best feeling deck in the game uh, i'm really just loving trying decks all over again just with vip pass because i think i okay. really yeah. underestimated yeah. that card yes um turns out the most important turn of the game is just turn one in pokemon like it's crazy like <laughs> It, every other turn doesn't matter if you didn't set up turn one. Yes. So like VIP pass and everything is something that I'm trying, <laughs> um, essentially, yeah. and just worrying about my hands on two and three later on in the game because it's like it's so good how it, how much it compounds because it just mm -hmm. takes cards out of your deck as well as like giving you presence immediately, mm -hmm. and you don't care about those whiffed cards because I'm starting to add in like one copy of Zinnia in a, into a couple of decks alongside sure. like one or two Cram just to have that pitch fodder here and there. Mm -hmm. And it means that you can play more complicated decks. Like even I'm trying it with uh, Malamar, like you said right now, Rapid Strike yeah. Mali with VIPs, because you play Sincino anyway. So like, right. I don't see why you wouldn't. Um, it just lets you have a go-wide strategy and actually get into the game. And it's also defense against Urshifu and Jolteon, where previously some decks would just falter if Jolteon knocked out your first Sobble, right? Right. Um, and now you've got three in play that little bit more often. So I'm trying it in like all sorts of things. And it's almost, it feels like a new deck at times, just having those additional outs. I remember when Shadow Rider first came out, I just loved the fact that I had four Quick Ball, four Fog Crystal to actually get my basics into play. And that's like what it feels like now. And that was 
one of the main reasons why Shadow Rider was so good in the opening stages, just because you had more outs to basics to actually right. get going in the game. Right. Uh, and uh, now every deck has that potential to really go wide turn one. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've been thinking a lot about that too, is like just jamming it into, you know, VMAX decks. Like who who cares, you know, just yeah. getting that. <laughs> getting those extra basics out is a real game changer, especially something like, you know, we've seen it in single strike. I think that's mm -hmm. a perfect kind of application to, you know, a top tier deck already yep. where if you can get that first turn battle VIP pass, you're setting up a couple of Hounders, you can do anything on that next turn. So really, really powerful stuff. Well, good, Joe. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was a really great conversation, everything from the content creation to the current metagame. So uh, anything that you want to say, any plugs you want to give uh, as, as we uh, wrap up the cast here? Uh, just the usual plugs. Uh, you can go ahead and find the Omnipoke YouTube channel. Uh, just Omnipoke is all you need to search. Uh, Team Omnipoke is the Twitch. We are very sporadic, but Jack is currently doing... Um, <laughs> a brilliant diamond uh nuzlocke right now so that's Very you cool. can find some content there as well um and yeah thanks for having me on love the pod and happy to listen in every week uh, and hopefully i can uh i'll miss this week obviously but i'll be back <laughs> listening to you and riley uh, very soon well good thank you so much for joining us this evening this has been Tag team, we're so thankful to everyone that listens every single week. We appreciate you guys a great deal. So thank you so much on behalf of myself, Riley, and Joe. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Peace.